And I guess the most, the hardest part of decision making for a responsible person is that uh, you're wary of the consequences, which you don't even know what it is. But you have to make that decision right now, right? Yes. Without, without knowing what's going to happen, that uncertainty. And that is the most uncomfortable thing that uh, I have to do uh, periodically in, in being your own boss. Yeah, a lot of people like to see, oh, the boss do nothing. I just ask people to do things. Yeah. But the, the most difficult part is making decisions. Yeah. Because you know that the decision you make, you'll shift the company to a certain direction or you, sh- you reorganize the team in a certain way or whatever kind of trickle down effect to the company. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Paul Turn. In the day, I work a pretty normal job as a doctor in Singapore. But in my spare time, I interview successful people, mainly in Asia, with interesting career paths, hobbies or side projects. I trace the stories right back to their humble beginnings and I ask, what do these unconventional journeys teach us? And can we similarly be more imaginative in what we do? Welcome to the Alternative CV Podcast. Hello listeners, welcome to episode 29 of the Alternative CV Podcast. If you're at home because of the coronavirus outbreak, I hope that you stay safe and stay healthy and uh, you practice good hand hygiene. In today's episode, we pick up part two of my conversation with Alvin Chow. Alvin Chow is um, Alvin Chow is one of the biggest names in personal investing in Singapore. He has transformed his personal investing blog into a company that offers a suite of investor education courses and portfolio management tools. He's the CEO of Dr. Wealth. Personally, Alvin teaches courses on factor-based investing, and he's also authored two books, The The Secrets of Singapore Trading Gurus and Singapore Permanent Portfolio. In today's episode, we carry on the conversation about how Alvin built up his company, Dr. Wealth, from his side hobby into a coaching company that teaches people about investing and financial planning. As part of this, we talk about building an online audience and we cover what's worked for Alvin and what hasn't worked so well. We then cover the basics about financial planning and the cornerstones that you need to get right, including insurance, savings, and investing. And finally, my favorite part of this conversation, Alvin shares some books and resources that has helped shape him as a person. If you've listened to part one of our conversation, you'll realize that Alvin, that Alvin is a philosopher and he thinks deeply about the stuff that he does. So this bit is really worth listening to because I've learned a lot of it personally, uh, and I'm most impressed by how Alvin curates his email inbox meticulously to be fed with the best ideas and information from people he looks up to every single day. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've done. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Alvin Chow. So, you know, when you made the transition from from personal blogger to CEO and with responsibilities, did you find that that was a natural transition yourself? Was there anything that you, I mean, were you just comfortable with responsibility or were there things that kind of jarred and then you had to overcome? I guess I was always comfortable with responsibility because I was in the Air Force and there there were already been a lot of responsibilities then. And probably that was why I I, I felt that, you know, work is pressurizing, you know, stressful because of all this responsibility. Mm. And that's also one reason why I left the Air Force to, to start my own business. Lah. And it was a passion project, as I said. But then now you come back to square one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're given back that responsibility just in different contexts and a different kind of industry, right? And there are some differences as well. In the Air Force, there's always a boss, 
okay so if if i'm unsure of anything i will i can always seek my boss for for the decision to be made so i can defer that decision making to my boss anything he will take responsibility yeah, not me yeah. right so mm-hmm. that that alleviates some of that stress away lah, right and it works as well if let's say the big big boss not happy and want to want to like score anybody right uh, my boss is always there to block it for me yes. he will always take the first hit before he come and score me right he will always take the first hit from a big boss so that 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 is the advantage of having a boss okay and now when i am the boss there's nobody above me <laughs> so there's nobody to defer that decision making and i guess the most the hardest part of decision making for a responsible person is that uh, you're wary of the consequences which you don't even know what it is but you have to make that decision right now right yes. without without knowing what's going to happen, that uncertainty. And that is the most uncomfortable thing that uh, I have to do uh, periodically in, in being your own boss. Okay. A lot of people like to see, oh, the boss do nothing, I just ask people to do things. <laughs> yeah. But the, the most difficult part is making decisions. Yeah. Because you know that the decision you make, you shift the company to a certain direction or you, sh- you reorganize the team in a certain way or whatever kind of trickle down effects la, to the company. And the thing is that you can play whatever scenarios you want, okay, but you still will know exactly what will happen next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is very heavy responsibility. And li- yeah, living with that. Yeah. yeah. Were there any management books that you found helpful or, or advice or... I guess management books, we will always start with the famous people, famous managers, right? The, the Bob Iger of Disney mm. or Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, all these big names, right? I, I read them, but after a while, I realized that it's not so relevant. Okay. okay. Because, because I'm running a small business. Okay. And I realized that most of the books that are more useful to me with more utility is that those books that are written by small business owners. Okay. Yeah, because their context is a lot more similar. And that's another rule of thumb that I, I uh, picked up for myself. If you want to take any advice or recommendation for anyone, uh, make sure the context is similar. If the context is not similar, the advice is useless to you. Mm-hmm. Because what he can do doesn't mean you can do it. And what he should do, it doesn't mean you should do it. So uh, context become very important. When, when I start to read all these management books, I try to figure out who this author is, what his background, is it close to mine? Is it where I want to go in the next few years or next few bounds, etc. If it's too far, it's, it's a bit no meaningless. Mm. So, so which are the small business owners that you found helpful? Um, one, one that is very useful and it provides a lot more uh, direction because it's almost like a book that summarizes a lot of other books in the small business arena it's called Scaling Up by Vern Harnish yeah. okay he's, he's also a guy who started the entrepreneurial organization okay yeah which is group of small business owners that come together in, in different cities in, in smaller groups and they have very frequent kind of uh, dialogues and discussion because like, like what I say right a lot of the business owners uh, they, are, they are by themselves there's nobody to no sounding board etc and these are the environment that allow all these entrepreneurs to come together to, to talk about their problems without fear of their problems being leaked out because they are not competitors they are all in different industries. So yeah. there's, there's no issues about really pouring things out and really hearing not so much of advice, but real life 
uh, experiences from other entrepreneurs. Maybe they have met the same problem just in a different industry, but you can probably get some ideas out of it. So he, he, he wrote this book, Scaling Up, which is touched on a lot of aspects, uh, your HR, your strategic, your marketing stuff, all these kind of things. And it points you to a lot more direction. So I think that's a very good book to start for small business owners. Mm, mm, mm. Let's, okay, go re- rewind, rewind back. Back all the way back to when you a passion project, and you said you organize a few other uh, partners to to start this, right? I'm curious to find out about the transition to to becoming a business from just a passion project. Did how do you know that the time was right, or that this there was there is actually a business out of it? Did you beta test, or you, you know you know try have a trial product or something? We didn't have any product that we created. Why I had that confidence was that because I already have an audience and I went to a, a course and then they had this affiliate program. So what I did was that I just posted the link on my blog and mm. then I started to receive affiliate checks. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that, that was like a validation itself, right? So I then hey, they, they, they are, our audience are willing to pay. Mm. Okay, so which means there is a market for, for these things. La. So that was how that comfort or the confidence to, to make that transition was. Are you comfortable sharing how large your audience was back then when you decided to shift? Can't really remember exactly because at that point I don't even really have an email list. Oh, which wow. was very surprising, That's right? Very surprising. People so always say yeah. that you must have an email list, yeah. or the marketer will tell you that. That was one of the reasons why I brought in a partner who, who is good in marketing and one of the first things that he did was go and do our email list and go and collect email. So I guess the initial list we got when we first started implementing I think seven, 8,000 subscriber in the email list. Yeah, that was how we... Amazing. And that, yeah. yeah. But I suppose, what, that, I mean, the people who followed your blog must be like genuine followers because even with our email list, even with all these things, these were people who are regularly coming back to read your blog. Yeah, yeah, they are. And comments and etc. I guess, as I said, I was lucky because there weren't a lot of finance blogs in the past. So it was untapped demand, you see. Uh, mm. Even they want to read others, they don't have many to choose from, right? So they will always go back to the same few ones, including mine, right? So that was an advantage. La. So in, in, in my life, definitely there are a lot of points where the star seems aligned, but there were also a lot of luck that was involved. Yeah. Mm. So we cannot just credit everything to just effort. Luck actually plays a big part. You can work very hard, but luck is not on your side. You still don't get anything. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, okay, let's, let's talk a bit about building an audience then. Do you have any advice about how, how, what works in terms of building advice, uh, building an audience, especially for, you know, cause I'm also doing things which I hope will benefit other people. But uh, so far, the best advice I've heard is about providing value to, to, to whoever is, who, to your target audience. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a general rule of thumb, right? The devil's in the details, right? So mm. the question is how and how to create value. In fact, myself, I've always been trying to to refine and see what what has uh, worked and whether we can find new things, new ways to work. Because nowadays, uh, I the challenge is that there are so many channels out there. Okay, you have your you want to do video, you can do YouTube, you can even put your video on Facebook. Correct. Twitter is not popular here, but it's very popular in the US. Mm. Instagram is quite popular over here, mm-hmm. uh, but the audience in these channels are all different. So for example, if you, if you 
do pretty pictures, Instagram definitely will be the best, right? Audience tend to be younger. The demographics are younger. The message that you want to, the medium of the message also is important, right? If your picture is not nice, you don't expect people to follow you in on Instagram. Video-wise, uh, yes, you have to build out a following and YouTube itself has an SEO a function yep. to search your tag your video because video content is not searchable so which means your tags your titles your image all these are become important facebook um, if you do video you'll you'll do better than if it's just a text or link uh, that you share okay mm-hmm. so which means every platform has their quirks and it's hard to it's hard to be good at every channel and usually um, every every company right they have a core channel yeah, every kind of company has a core channel. No, no company has core in all channels. Mm. Um, you need to find that core. Okay, and of course, that means there must be a lot of experimentation within all these channels. Right, like TikTok is coming out, right? So, what what can you do about TikTok, right? Mm. Or is it just a fad? Okay, so there is a lot of all this testing that needs to be done. You want to create value, like for example, what I realized recently is that because of probably the short attention span now is even shorter. Blog posts might be too long. Right, might be too long to to do it frequently. Mm. Right, it could be if you share a short snippet on Facebook, right? We pack a lot of value with very little words, right? People find hey, it's very convenient, right? So value may become in the form not just in the message itself, but the convenience of consuming that message. Yeah. It's valuable if I can get the same amount of uh, wisdom or knowledge in five seconds. Why do I need one minute to read a blog post? Right. Mm. So then that become like uh, another way that, eh, you know, maybe you don't need to really spend so much time to write blog posts, which we started off from that. So it's also a lot about challenging our original beliefs and what make us succeed and to, to be open-minded and see what else can we do, right? But the, fa- the, the, the sad thing is that most of the things you try will not work one. Mm. <laughs> most of the things you try to experiment will not work one. Okay. But that, that doesn't mean that that should deter you because you always need to find things are always developing. Channels are always developing. The people, the consumers are shifting. Right? That's one reason why Facebook buy Instagram yep. because the, the crowd is, is different. Right? It's younger, etc. The, the older ones are tend to be on Facebook. So your demographics will shift. right? So if you're suddenly your, your customers belong to another channel, you have to figure out a way to, to reach them and mm. provide value in that channel. So I guess uh, it's a lot of testing experiment and you cannot just stay still. You, still, you should still always uh, focus on your core, but at the same time, you need to experiment to find the next new core for your business. Interesting change. Interesting. Okay. Um, off the back of that, I'm interested to find out, uh, especially for the Asian audience, right? So, because they are quite unique, I would say, from, say, Western audiences for where I think much more has been written about what works and what doesn't. It's a bit clearer in terms of, you know, as you were saying, Twitter works there, whereas Instagram is more for the Asian, appears more to the Asian market. What, what do you think is... Are there, are there useful channels? Are there more interesting channels for, for Asians, number one? And, and the second thing, which I'm also really, really interested to find out is, you know, you mentioned that you used to get comments in your blog and stuff like that. So one of the, the, the things about, which I found is that it's quite difficult getting people to engage back with you. You know, if you're, um, I'm not sure whether this is to do with, with the fact that we are reaching out mainly to Asians or not, but yeah, it seems that, you know, it's more difficult to, 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 to get feedback as opposed to you know if you were talking to a predominantly western kind of uh, audience 
I, I'm not sure whether, you know, Asians and Westerners are different. I mean, it's always easy to point out the differences. But it is normal that 90% of the people are just passive readers, right? When it comes to information, they are consumers, they are producers, right? Probably only 10% of the people produces content and the other 90% consumes them, right? And only the top 1% produces majority of the information yeah <laughs> right so which means the 90% of people who consume information most likely they will not say anything they will not comment anything so it's more of the probably within that 10% who are producer who look at other producers may then chip in some of the comments so that's why I guess it's normal it's normal f- to have little engagement but most are passive readers or passive consumers of information it doesn't mean they don't know sometimes sometimes the funny thing is that we may run into a reader or an audience or a customer mm. and then after that they they talk about something recently we wrote then mm. we were quite surprised it's like eh I, I didn't know you read because you didn't comment or anything right but then after you talk to them you realize that eh, they actually follow quite well they, they actually consume information so you just choose not to say anything yeah. Mm. so it doesn't mean when they don't say anything nobody's reading or nobody's engaged they, most are just silent readers mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think I think there's a lot of wisdom in that yeah and I yeah yeah I, I can see that possibly I'm being too quick to judge and, and yeah of course if you want a lot more engagement there's a way there's a trick yeah is to be very polarizing oh. <laughs> <laughs> right you will always get a lot more engagement because you stir people's emotion yeah, yeah. Then people will, huge cost to that. Yeah, of course, of course. But that that is one of the quickest way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, what what channels do you do you find that helpful for 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 yourself? For us, definitely SEO because we started from there, mm. uh, search engine, and we are in a niche uh, market. So, which means most majority of the population are not our customers, and if someone search on Google, means their intention is very high their relevancy is very high. So it becomes a very key channel for us. Uh, right? mm. So we just want people who are interested to come. Right? We don't need everybody to come. So uh, SEO is important because of the high intention purpose of it. Uh. Then the second thing, uh, second channel that's useful for us would be Facebook. Uh, Facebook will be the social part. That's where we reach out to people that probably we will never reach before. Sometimes they may search, but they may not find us. Right. So the social element for Facebook is what we we try to to get. Yeah. Uh, so people may share and things like this. Right. Then their friends may see. Right. So Facebook has uh, worked for us also for channels uh, So mainly search and Facebook in Singapore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's quite a lot of um. Not quite a lot of, but there, there are a number of, of blogs out there in, in this kind of personal finance space that it's kind of like a, a single person. And I suppose you, you once occupied that space, single person blogging about their financial journey and, and dispensing advice, which they have learned themselves and figured out what works for them, what doesn't. So wh- why, why do you, de- why do you then decide to, because you can still make a, a passive income stream of that. What made you decide to take this to a full scale organization rather than continuing? As I said, from, from passion become mission, right? Yeah. So once you make it into mission, right, you have to keep growing. You have to That's keep true. growing. You you cannot stay stagnant. On. Any business stays stagnant, eventually you'll die. Right. So true. Yeah, you become a survival instinct already. So there's no there's point of no return. <laughs> yeah. The only point of return is you just decided one day I call it a day law. You just okay, it's enough, we'll stop doing this and let's just go back to our own lives. Mm. Yeah. Otherwise you have to keep growing. Yeah. Otherwise, the company will die. That's so true. 
Let's kind of change, change track completely and talk a little bit about personal finance and investing. <laughs> One concept which I really, really enjoyed from reading your blog post is about the warrior and the monk. Can you okay. explain what the warrior and the monk is? That was quite a while back, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess the idea came about when I interact with entrepreneurs, I interact with financial bloggers. Okay. And I realized even though, you know, Robert Kiyosaki said investors, businessmen, they're on the same side, you know, they are, they are good money makers. But then after a while, I realized the personality to succeed, they are very different. Okay. okay. Yeah, they are very different. So entrepreneurs are definitely more like businessmen. All right. Then investors are more, I'm, I'm categorizing them more like the financial bloggers la, whom mm. I know. Right. When you talk to entrepreneurs, they will be like uh, a lot more confident, right? They are like very sure of things, very decisive. Oh, this is the opportunity we want to go. This is our plan. Uh, very, very active and trying to control the outcome that's going to come in the future as much as possible, right? They want to, they have a very strong locus of control, right? Strong sense of control. Yeah. Then we talk to the bloggers and the financial, financial bloggers, right? You realize that they don't have this very deterministic kind of nature in them. They will be more like, we don't know what's going to happen. Mm. It's, it's very uncertain, right? This is our best guess now, right? And let the market decide what it's going to give us. So they are more like a price taker. Where's the businessman and the price sector? That kind of mindset is is very different. Even though uh, they both want to build wealth, correct? But the approach and the personality to do it is very different. Yeah, and which means that it's not easy for an investor to become a businessman. Mm. And I also realized because I met a lot of entrepreneurs who sold their business, they became investor. They find it very difficult as well because of the very passive nature. I, I, I have no control. I have to leave it to the management to decide where the company is going. You know, it's like, oh, I just cannot take it. <laughs> can you, can you, you know, have some control to know where the prices are going and things like this? So it's, it's all the, all the wrong kind of, uh, personality that's required to succeed in investing itself yeah I so see. even though you succeed in business likely you don't do well as an investor if you are a good investor likely you will do well as a businessman the funny thing is most people think they are the same right because the thinking how you think about business is should be the same but actually it's not the personality are so different yeah if you even money attitude right so you talk to entrepreneur right hey your expenses very high then how ah? oh let's go and make more money ah. Right. Mm-hmm. You talk to the financial blogger, wow, your expense is very high. Okay, I'll cut it. You see, the mindset is totally different. Mm-hmm. You go in different directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I realized between these two. So to categorize them, to give them more archetypes, right? So that people can understand. Then I use warrior la, to, to represent the, the entrepreneurs, right? Because they're really very gung-ho kind. They want to control everything, right? Yep. Then monk is more like, you know, this world is what it is. You can't change much and just <laughs> let it be, you know, just do what you need to do. Yeah. So I guess it, it fits that kind of uh, uh, personalities. La. Yeah. Very interesting observation. So which, which are you? Unfortunately, I'm in the middle, Whoa. which is which is why I could relate to both ends. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Otherwise, I won't be able to fully this content. <laughs> I, I mean, that's just, I'm sure, I'm sure that there has, there has to be some truth there because you are both a finance blogger and an, yeah. an entrepreneur. I, I would say I started out as more of the monk side. Okay, mm. I, I'm more of the monk side. But over time, I when when this business became from a, a passion to a mission, I've, I've, I'm forced to move to the other side, to become an entrepreneur, become more warrior-like. So that is what I learned from a lot of other entrepreneurs, right? 
it's like after a while yeah they are right why don't I do this why don't I do that right why mm-hmm. don't I just have that mindset to do this to so it was determine and shape your yeah outcome. so that I was that so I'm transiting so sometimes it's like I have schizophrenia you know <laughs> <laughs> in business I need to be more warrior like then when I come to investment my own investment I have to be more monk like yeah so you have to somehow be able to switch that kind of uh, personality otherwise if you're an investor in your business you're dead if you're a businessman you're an investor you're dead <laughs> so you have to use the right personality in the right place mm. yeah I suppose I suppose it's uh, it's it, it is good to, be, to have elements of both mm. yeah and different things for different periods of time different yeah but if you try to be both you you tend to round off the the effectiveness in each okay right? yeah, so you're a businessman so. you're 100% warrior is very good you're a businessman you're 50% warrior is not good right mm-hmm. it, it caps your progress likewise for investor if you're only 50% it caps you so that is always that struggle yeah that this duality in, in myself right so sometimes I think that hey, maybe if I'm 100% investor it's easier if I'm 100% warrior it's easier you know mm-hmm. yeah, but I seem like I have I'm always like very middle way very balanced yeah, very yin-yang balanced kind of mm-hmm. state la. Yeah. nice so moving on to to investing right so I'm just going to ask you a few very basic questions about investing because I, I mean part of this the reason for this podcast as well is to introduce diversity of, of skills to, to our listeners so could you talk a little bit about the components of personal finance and then just to give this question some context back in September last year you wrote quite a long blog post about being the last sandwich generation mm. do you remember that yeah and then I, what I liked about that post was that you you covered a lot of the basics of what comes under the broad umbrella of personal finance and, and the categories which you kind of broadly touched on were insurance investments and CPF and for those people who don't know what CPF stands for that's Singapore government's kind of forced uh, savings scheme almost like a pension fund kind of scheme so would you say that that's essential elements investments uh, insurance and pension or CPF or is there anything else that you add onto that Mm, pretty much I guess of course you can throw in some other things that are uh, important as well budgeting right savings and things like this because if you have no savings you have no capital you cannot invest investments always need capital and we also briefly talk about mindset and things like this motivation because all these are just tools Mm. you still need the right mindset to do pull this off Mm. this might be quite a big question and and feel free to break it down any way you want but can you briefly touch on why each of these things are important Mm -hmm. maybe we start with insurance right so insurance is necessary because there are very big events that can happen and it becomes too expensive for you to to afford it and you might just ruin your entire financial life or even your life right Mm -hmm. so i'm a believer that small small kind of events or or if let's say the the price to pay right for the event to happen right is is low you don't need insure okay but if let's say the event if it happens the impact is so big that it can bankrupt you then you better insure right mm-hmm. so things like your critical illness all these kind of things hospitalization is very important because healthcare is very expensive in singapore right mm-hmm. and you can't die the doctors mm-hmm. won't let you die mm-hmm. you cannot okay it's against the code all right yep. so and they will administer the treatment to you and then they'll send you the bill later <laughs> right? and you have to pay them because you owe the money and imagine you have to you're already in poor health and you have to work harder to pay off your hospital bills what is the meaning of life right so in that in that sense insurance is important because it's to is to protect 
you against all these big bills that may come in the future. Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. So better get them covered. The small money, don't worry about them. Worry about the big ones, right? So make sure you're adequately covered. Uh. And in terms of CPF, because a big chunk of your salary, 20% goes to CPF every month. And plus your employer contribution mm -hmm. is almost 40%. Right, so it's a very big chunk of money that's there, okay, and CPF ha has evolved to such a very complex animal that nobody really understand today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have the same uh, same uh, policy but different treatment because due to different age groups. Right, so it's very very complex. It, it, it applies to one group but it doesn't apply to another group, and you really need to figure out what is it in for you. Because a lot of your money is stuck there. Okay? Yeah. You can use it for housing, you can use it for education, a lot of other things, right? But uh, you have to really figure out what this system can do for you. Right? Instead of blaming the system, why well, you take away my money, etc. why don't you just make the best use, of, best use of it, right? Go and figure it out and, and just plan something out of it. Okay, so CPF is a big chunk of your assets out there. It's about, I just briefly checked the household assets in for Singaporeans, right? So it's about 20% of assets, of Singapore assets in CPF. Mm. Half of it is in housing. La. So 20% in CPF. So it's a very big chunk of, of money there. So uh, have to pay attention to that. La. Then uh, in terms of investment, definitely because CPF, even though it's a big chunk of money, it's not enough to retire in Singapore. And of course, it depends on lifestyle. La. If you if you live like a monk, then it's fine. Okay, If you live like a normal average Singaporean, it's always better to have some investment to buffer you. Because you think about it, so now most people, the younger ones are on CPF life, right? Which is an annuity plan. Yep. Okay. It probably gives you average thousand plus dollars a month. Do you think thousand plus dollars a month is enough for your retirement? Uh, to maintain the lifestyle that you want, I think it's challenging, right? Mm. So it's not enough. And that's why you have to invest to make up the rest of the amount that you're going to require in the rest of your life. And another thing to note is that uh, I believe that our generation will live to 100. A lot of people will live to 100 because based on your trends, you'll know that our median death age has risen from 65 to 85 today, right? And if you plan until 85, right, you'll end, end up having a shortfall. Okay. Just like people who used to plan for 65, now they realize that shit, I have another 20 years to leave to 85, mm -hmm. right? And where, where's the money going to come from? Yeah. Right. So which means we should always plan much further than what the current median death age is yeah. because of the, the, the better healthcare and all these things, right? So we need to plan another 100. 85 is too short. And which means, yeah, you need more investments to make up all these shortfalls. That's a great kind of basic first principles brought like helicopter view overview i think one thing i i, I liked how you explained cpfs as well i think that for a lot of people say just taking from a singaporean context yes that it that the, the way to think about it is that it's a large chunk of money that's sunk in there and it is worth taking the time to understand how you can best make the make use of that which i think personally as well i fall into this trap of thinking that oh no it's so complex and it's almost it's it's money that you don't really think about because it has been taken away before you even take home your, your paycheck. So there's no real, coming back to motivation, which we talked about earlier, there's no real motivation and drive and incentive to, to think about, you know, this large proportion of my assets, how am I using them to, employing them to the best of my ability. But, but, but it's an effective way because we also mentioned structure drives behavior. Structure, it yeah, is a yeah, structure, right? Yeah. It's forced, okay? Yes. And, and that is why a lot of 
Singaporeans can afford properties and housing is because a lot, most people will tap on their CPF funds to buy, right? Mm-hmm. Without the CPF, I can tell you home ownership in Singapore won't be that high mm. because most people won't save enough money to buy a property. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Th- there are advantages that people don't see and they take it for granted, right? Because it's very easy. Yeah. Or buy house, uh, CPF. Uh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If, if I were, say, at the start of my personal finance journey, right? And you and there are these three broad categories. Is there any one of them that you think is more, more important to sort out first and then to kind of attack first and then move on to the others? Definitely insurance will be the first one, right? You don't know what will happen tomorrow. Uh, and it's not difficult to sort it out, right? Mm. At least minimally a good hospitalization plan in case the, the public hospital are overworked, right? So you have an option to go to the private hospital. Okay? These, these are options that you should not save on, right? Uh, if you still decide to go to public hospital, so be it. But at least you have the option, right? It's, it's very precious. Yeah? Because yep. uh, there are cases before where, where my mom had to schedule for a specialist appointment by six months down the road. But the doctor can only dispense two weeks of medicine. Right, because mm. that was the quota la, that was what I was told la. so then what's going to happen for the next five and a half months right so if you have that option then it's a lot easier right and I don't blame the system because it can be very overworked at times right so that that is that I think that's the first thing that it has to be sorted out la. Yeah. Uh, yeah, insurance is definitely one but after you sort it out you don't need to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. okay? the maintenance mode is very minimal right so just get it done first uh, CPF yes it's a complex animal you can take your time to really learn about it, but there's no such urgency yeah, because only when you need to use the money, then you probably need to know what the consequences. Like you buy a house, you need to accrue interest, all these kind of things, right? Then you learn about them and you sell, you got resale levy and things like this. La. So then, then you go and uh, figure out uh, all these things. So I think that still uh, have time. Yeah. And investments, I think will be in the next one after insurance yeah. because after you settle the downside, you have to think about the upside, right? And we know compounding effect takes mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And the earlier you start in terms of investment is better, right? You don't want to wait until it's too late, then you start investing. Yeah. Because if you, an interesting fact is that uh, it's math, right? Compounding effect is math. So you go and take a look at the formula, okay? There's a time element and there's a in, uh, returns, percentage returns. Okay? These are two inputs that will give you your your end goal, your end financial goal. Yeah. So either you want to get your goal faster, then you have to uh, either get a higher uh, returns. Or longer like, time uh, frame. Or longer time frame, right? In order to hit, hit your goal. So, if you realize it's a lot easier to work on the time frame because the time frame is at the power. It's, it's actually a power in the formula. Yes. Right? So it's, it's, it's compounding in, in effect. Whereas your returns is very hard to push higher at a certain point in time. Yeah. yeah. It plateaus off. Yeah. yeah. So, so for example, maybe I, I put it across easier is that it give you two scenario. You, you can have option A, you make 5% per year and you hold it for 10 years. Alright. Or you can have 10% per year and hold it for five years. Mm. Correct. Okay. So the fact is that the, the first option will give you a higher return. Right. Just because of the time element of it. Yeah. yeah. So that's how the math uh, works. La. So which means the time element is more important than your rate of returns. So which means the earlier you start is better. You don't need to think about, oh, I need a lot of high returns now in order to reach. So the later you start, you need to compensate your higher returns. Yeah, because you don't have enough years. Yeah. So that's See. how the math works. 
That's uh, yeah, I really like the explanation. Yeah. And 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 coming back to what you were talking about earlier about insurance as well, I think yeah, it's 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 worth worth thinking about insurance as a starting point because I think for a lot of people in, in my generation, say in their twenties, they are you know, insurance is just just seems like a like a very foreign concept because it's you know when you you think you're invincible when you're in your twenties and sometimes sometimes without responsibility without like family or dependence and you don't think about these things as well and also it feels like an expenditure item because it comes out without you actually seeing any growth in the pot mm. but yeah worth worth thinking about it yep. as the starting point yeah yeah and major events lah people will start to think about it lah right getting married having their first child and things like this yeah, they will tend to think about it uh. which comes back to motivation as you yeah. say you know these events in life that push you in a certain direction yeah. but there are still people who won't think about it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so those are those are the, the ones that you, you can't help, you can't mm. help. Yeah. focusing specifically on investments right what, what are some of the common mistakes that you see beginners make when they that you know if, if speaking to the beginners right now that you should be wary about making so many is so hard to start with which one <laughs> right and another thing is that yeah I, I can talk about a lot of all these lessons but most of the time the beginners won't be able to grasp it yeah. mm. uh, some things are taught some things are caught so a lot of all these lessons are caught because you tell them they also don't understand what you're talking about because they've never been through it mm. yeah. that's why we also believe we don't believe that no, you can just figure everything out by reading books there are people who say, oh, don't you go for courses? Ah? A lot of things are written in books, etc. It's like reading a book to ride a bicycle. You, you know it's not going to be possible, right? It's a skill-based kind of thing. So I guess uh, one of the mistakes that I realized is like, it's actually a human bias. Okay, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Okay. Right. Which is a beginner usually will overestimate their abilities. Yeah. So a lot of times beginners will go in like, oh, I want to achieve a 20% return per year. Yeah, 10% are wow, too low. La. 5% are wow, you cannot make it. You know, they will have an overestimation of their abilities. Yeah, yeah, where their knowledge is a lot lower, but they think it's probably 10 times higher. Mm. Right? And then they go in the market with a lot of risk taking. Mm. Okay? So they are these group of people. And of course, they tend to be young and they tend to be guys <laughs> yeah, because of testosterone level is higher, right? mm. <laughs> probably. That's it. Female tend to be more conservative. So they're also another group of people. I, I'm just generalizing here, but they're also very gung-ho female and they're also very conservative guys, but in general. And they also tend to be too scared on the other side, right? Of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm. So they, they, they will start to be very afraid. Oh, I, I, I'm very scared to lose money. Maybe I should just put in fixed deposit. Maybe I should just buy some bonds. When they are, maybe they are very young and they can actually afford the, the, the volatility in the markets, as long as they stick to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I guess knowing oneself is very important. Sometimes they overestimate, sometimes they underestimate. Yeah. Their tolerance for risk. Okay, so I, I, there's no choice because as a beginner, you have not experienced it before. You can't calibrate. You can't calibrate where you are. You don't even know, right? So yep. the only way is to invest. And that reflection of your actions and your behavior and your, and your feelings are very important. That's where you learn to calibrate. That guy, maybe he can do stocks, but for me, I realize I cannot. Then I need to do something else. Yeah, maybe I should just do an ETF that's uh, super diversified. So it's about the calibration that, that beginner need to go through. Yeah, you won't get it right the first time. Nobody's so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's really, really great advice. I, 
we I've really enjoyed our conversation because it's been so varied, right? Just to just to to kind of round everything off, I'd just like to ask you again some some more broad based questions because you know I think one of the great things about this conversation is just how philosophical and uh, varied we've been. So, can can we talk about education? Because uh, sure. Because one thing which which strikes me about you and uh, our conversation and, and the kind of articles you, you write is that, as I said, you go beyond just your subject expertise, which is which is personal finance, right, to, to philosophy. And, and it also strikes me that you are somebody who, who keeps teaching yourself and never stops learning. So thinking about all these ideas about education and bringing it back to our context, right? The education system is one, especially in our country, where it's very kind of book-based and, 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 and with, a, with a focus on hard facts, which are tested in exams. So if you were advising your children right now, what would you tell them that is the most important thing for them to take out of their education system? It's already a challenge getting them to school. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be thankful they go to school cooperatively. So I, I think there's no perfect education system, mm. right? And education, in my view, has always geared towards uh, preparing people for work. Yep. Preparing people for careers. And that's why, that's how it's structured. You start off with very uh, general topics. And then as you go higher up in tertiary education, that's where you specialize into fields, right? You look at how the university is structured. You know that's how it's a reflect it's reflective of how the society is structured in terms of industries and careers. Mm-hmm. So it has always been that way. And because there's, they need a means to uh, put or, or rank people, right? And then you administer tests and examination in order to, to segregate uh, the, the academically inclined and non-academically inclined kinds. I think I, I don't have a better solution, right? I don't have a better suggestion how the school system is going to be. I guess all of us are not fine, right? Most importantly is uh, to my children, I, I would still want them to go through the Singapore education system. Mm-hmm. Need to follow through what they need to do. But I would emphasize that they need to learn outside the school, right? Maybe pick something that's passionate about and really go and learn about things. And I actually see it in my elder son at this point in time because he's three years old. The, the, the younger one at one is too young to read anything. Too young, yeah. Yeah, so he's quite interested to learn things. Uh, like now he's very into astronomy. He can name all the planets, etc. cetera. Mm. Uh, and he really drew deeper into it. So I guess the true education is driven by curiosity. The true education is not based on exams and tests. Yeah, but you have no choice. Again, structure drives behavior. You have to force people to to learn the basic and general knowledge, mm. right? But anything outside, in, in fact, I think is more important. Yeah, to me, the real education start after school, not during school, right? And you never stop learning. Yeah, you can never learn about the real world from books. You can never learn about real world from examinations and and tests. Uh, that's that's what I found myself lah. Mm. Uh, I realized that I continue to learn, and whatever I believe the world is when I was a student was all wrong. Yeah, it was too idealistic about how the world should be. Right. Yeah. So the real, the real life reflection, education, learning, self-driven curiosity, all this, actually the, the more important part. I want my kids to really learn outside school rather than during school. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I think historically, the, 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 this education system as we see it right now, it's a product of the industrial revolution and it's about being able to put people in companies in order to function, right? But now that 
the definition of what a job is 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 far more eroded or like it's 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 like a bit more messy than what it used to be, not so clearly defined. So it is more important to be able to have the natural curiosity, as you said, to to learn and to 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 seek out skills and to be diversified, you know, for yourself based on what you're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess it's a survival instinct. Le- learning and adaptability is a survival skill uh, that one must have uh, because things will change, right? Times will change, and the only certainty is that you better learn and change. Uh, right? Mm. If you stick to the old ways, then you are just leaving it to luck. How how long can this last? You see. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, self learning and self education is very important. Mm. Uh, let's come back to books again, or or, or blogs, or YouTube videos, or or whatever media form that, that, you, that you enjoy most beyond personal finance which we've talked about and starting a business which we also talked about just general either self-improvement or other books that you've enjoyed that have had a positive benefit impact on your life are there any other resources that, that you know that have that you found particularly useful for yourself mm-hmm. so I do read a lot of books and as widely as I can okay so that's one of the main source of knowledge acquisition mm. and another one is that I like The Economist magazine I think it's the best periodicals in the world simply because uh, they are they are very sarcastic towards everybody so <laughs> you, you can on one hand you can say is they are not influenced by anyone right so to remain objective but they're also very biased because they tend to to look at the not so good things because uh, i guess it, it provides a good balance every organization every government or everybody will always say good things about what they have done right so media is always skewed towards one side so the economists tend to go the other way right and then if you read both then you get a balanced uh, view of it. I try to avoid a lot of finance news, business news and things like this now because they tend to be more sensationalized. Dow mm-hmm. uh, drop biggest, fastest correction in the history, you know, something like this, right? Then then it, it stir your emotion, etc. But they need the eyeballs. So they are they are they're driven to write these kind of things. And there's little value responding to all this uh, very short term kind of uh, news, media, etc. So I generally avoid I don't subscribe to any uh, newspaper. I don't read them. Because I believe in one saying, right? If you don't read news, you are uninformed. But if you read news, you are misinformed. So Mm -hmm. the lesser of two evils is to be uninformed. So I I take news out of my diet. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh And another source would be YouTube, right? So if I'm driving, I can't read, I will listen to YouTube. There are some interesting channels that I I like. Bloomberg has a lot of interviews, especially the Rubenstein show. I think it's very interesting because of the question that he asked. It's a lot more no holds bar kind of thing. Then it dig dig things deeper, different perspective, right? So I will subscribe to this kind of uh, channels and and listen to the interview as I as I drive. Some others will be there's there's a category I put as a China. Right, because I I do believe China is the next superpower, and we do need to learn how far they've come, and also some of the beliefs. Because you know, as Chinese, they have a rich culture, thousands of years of culture. You can't just um, uh, ignore them, right? You when you deal with them, you probably have to know where they come from, their origins, why they think like this, etc. Yeah, like for example, sometimes I have a very quirky kind of uh, uh, questions that I ask myself. So I, I I was at a temple during a Chinese New Year period. So uh, then I start, suddenly struck me, right, is that why why is there Buddha in a Taoist temple? 
And in fact, then I take a look, right? Then I try to think about it, right? Then, you know, it's almost like everywhere you go, there's always, there are some Buddhas and there are some Taoist gods, right? Residing in the same place. But I thought they are very different religion, right? Taoist is really from China, but Buddhism is actually from India, right? So why why did this uh, fusion happen? Then we also have confusion values, right? Which is also a religion in the past in, in China. So there's this, then you realize that a lot of the, the current Chinese beliefs and culture and, and routines and all these processions, right? is highly linked to this three religion together. It's actually mixed together, like mm. the way that they think. Filial piety is very confusion values, right? still around today right the more like non-interventionism kind of culture harmony right if you don't disturb me i don't disturb you that kind of feeling not like the west right the west would be like if i have a view even if you don't like it i'm gonna say it but for the for the chinese you're like if, if i think he doesn't like it i better keep quiet you know so that 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 thing is almost like the taoist thinking the wu wei right yeah. so do without doing anything right that kind of things and also a bit of harmony thinking from the confucian values so uh, you have all this kind of like current uh, you can really understand a lot more like if you go further back to to how the chinese history and the culture is being shaped by so then you understand their behavior a lot better yeah so i also try to listen to a lot of uh, the chinese shows not 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 the not the not the <laughs> dramas okay yeah. not the dramas but as in their variety show where they get certain entrepreneurs Chinese entrepreneurs uh, because they are less covered by the media so okay. you have to actively go and find them which which show exactly I think it's a series called Kai Jiang Le I think so so they get all these entrepreneurs like Jack Ma all this to really talk about their stories yeah, it's very illuminating yeah, what they go through and what they do. so you won't see this if you are just following a typical Singaporean diet you have to really shape this information taking process. Yeah. And even my email inbox is is deliberately crafted in a way that I only receive emails that I like to read. So a lot of people don't like to read emails. I like to read emails because I curate my email inbox. Yeah. So we are we are what we eat, right? Uh, doctors will agree, right? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, but I also believe we are what we consume in terms of information. Uh, so if you want to control your diet, you should also control the information you take in every day. If you just let information come as they are, you will you will not have good information. So you have to deliberately keep the bad information out and make sure good information come to you. Sorry, so I, I can't let this go because it's just too good to... Uh, to, to, to let go right now because um, I fully believe in, in sharing all these good ideas so, because I think that as many people that can benefit from this if more people can benefit from this this would be this would be great so what kind of newsletters do you subscribe to in your email email inbox? Uh, there are quite a number like uh, the more prominent ones that I enjoy a lot more is like David Perel so yeah probably I can give you some links like, then you can put it up if you sure want to. it yeah. will go into the show notes yeah, yeah so there's Taylor Pearson Paul Graham doesn't have uh, email, but Long you can service. also follow on Twitter. Yeah. Yep. So Twitter is also another good source to follow the right people in US. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes their thoughts or their links can be posted there. Uh, activity curated. What else? I also subscribe to, they may not be individuals, but they, they may be companies like uh, CB Insights that they do a lot of analysis of the tech industry, etc. Talking about tech, Ben Thompson. Mm-hmm. Ben Thompson's Strategy. Yeah. yeah. And Benedict Evans as well. 
So Anderson Horowitz, yeah. So all these are the tech, more tech ones, lah. So it's to keep abreast on what is happening and what their thoughts are. And sometimes you know you get some sound bites, but make a lot of sense. And and I tend to reuse it also, right? So it's things like they say like you know startups must find innovation. Uh, startup must find dis- distribution faster than the incumbents find innovation. Right. Mm. So things like this is very true. It's just very bite-sized kind of, uh, you can call it sound bites, but it's very true. Another one is like a lot of the tech entrepreneurs should have uh, strong opinions, but loosely held. Right. So it's okay that you have an opinion, but you cannot be so stubborn because if the data or the market tell you otherwise, you better change your idea. That's being the adaptiveness of, of small startups. So there are a lot of all these good ideas from, from the Silicon Valley because their culture is very, very different from New York, right? The East and the West, uh, kind of, it's totally opposite, mm. right? Well, one wear suit, one dress and t-shirts, right? So very interesting and variety of ideas. Coming out. So yeah, just just try to be a bit broader la, in terms of the information consumption. So some things are better followed via email, some things are followed via YouTube, some are followed via books. So they come from all sources. La. Curating. Yeah. Yeah. Curating. I, I'm just not into podcast yet. Yeah. All right. You can start with us. <laughs> okay. Uh, final few questions. What advice would you give to somebody who, to two groups of people, one person who is maybe at the start of their personal finance journey and the other person who, just as we've talked about, is at the juncture where you're moving from passion project to responsibility manager and, and, and with, with that kind of decision hanging over him or her. Okay. I, I still hold the belief that context is very important. So if you are listening to this advice, uh, see whether your context is similar to mine. Right? Mm. And in terms of the beginner investor, the first one, right? I would say that just go and try it. Okay, I talk about the calibration part, the self-calibration part to know where you are. Are you a trader? Are you an investor? Or are you uh, just an ETF uh, investor, passive investor? So there are so many things. And if you go on the internet, or you go and ask people, everybody will tell you a different thing. And they can be very convincing. End up, you have too many options, right? You might be too scared to move on, right? We, we oh yeah, just remember another good resource, uh, James Clear. James, James Clear. Yeah. Atomic Habits, yes. Yeah, so, so he had, I don't know was it from him or he quoted somebody. Like, he said that we like to have a lot of options, right? And we don't like to make decision because making a decision means we give up the rest of the options. Right. So when we first start as an investor, there are so many ways to invest or so many ways to trade the market. And probably you are fearful to commit to one because you scared you took the wrong one and there might be the right one somewhere else. Uh, sounds, like, sounds like it's getting married as well. Right? <laughs> so I, I think a lot of all these principles work in a lot of uh, situations. So uh, don't worry, you just go ahead. Okay. Yeah. The the good thing is it, the consequences is not as bad as a marriage, right? If you get it wrong, okay, you just switch another strategy down the way, right? But you need to do something to calibrate. It's like riding a bicycle. You can read ten books, but you don't go and attempt to ride a bicycle. You will never be ready, right? So just go and ride it, and you'll find your style eventually. So for a beginner investor, uh, don't think too much, lah. Yeah, a lot of people are too hesitant. Yeah, those gangho one we don't need to worry because they will always go in first, lah. Right, but I guess there's a group of people who tend to be uh, more scared, more rational. Yeah, so that that's the advice for them. And for those who want to move from passion to mission project, I don't have a good advice because I'm forced to. Okay, it's not a choice that I made. 
of course you can say that I still can have a choice when I'm forced I say I know right but I, I still feel that I like to go with the part that yeah somehow you probably will feel it in your body right it sounds a bit cliche right it sounds a bit like that but it's so hard to quantify a, a lot of things in life we try to scientify it right so that decision making is a lot easier but even medicine is not all science right your diagnosis all this there's some art form and experience yes, that's yes. involved okay so it's very hard to make a clear decision whether this point is oh it's mission okay as of 2359 today from passion you're going to shift to mission uh, yeah. so it's not so precise right so you have to probably feel it in your bones and that, that gut feel will come right then feel that I think there's something growing here. there's something that has probably a higher potential than what I'm doing right now maybe you can grow to something bigger then maybe the next question to ask is am I willing to take the risk if it doesn't happen as what I wanted it out to right so if the answer is yes then do it okay oh another resource I uh, see you keep thinking about it's the guy who started uh, CD Baby oh yeah Derek Sivers uh, Derek Sivers yeah there's also a lot of uh, wisdom in his in stuff lah, right uh, he lived in Singapore for a period yes yeah, so he, he said this if it's not the hell, hell yeah don't do it hell yeah hell yeah don't do it yeah, because there are so many things to do in life right so another way to help you decide whether it's a passion to mission ask that question if the answer is still not hell yeah, hell yeah yet, then don't do it. Lah. Yeah, maybe one day that answer will come. Then you will know what to do. You won't, you won't even need to think about it anymore. Yeah. So yeah, that's that. those are my advice. Great. And last but not least, just as a fun question, a bit of crystal ball gazing because uh, just as a bit of context, we are currently recording this in early March when the coronavirus uh, outbreak is... I'm not sure whether you can say it's in full swing or just starting or whatever. But anyway, uh, the markets have crashed 10%, recovered a little bit and then gone down again. So what do you see things going from here? Okay. I would like to ask the doctor, how, how is the virus going? Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, my, my, my I, I'm not qualified to, to answer a, a viral question, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so my, my perspective for, for this coronavirus is that I think that there are multiple more waves to come because you can see that it's just starting to take root in some countries like in, in the US and the UK. So there has, there is a second wave which is spreading subsequently. And the question is whether the, these other countries can deal with it. And I think these are the, these are the, the traditional economic powerhouses and, and, and the places where people take their financial barometer and readings from so i think that there's still not enough recognition of the impact that the coronavirus has had on the global supply chain and maybe will have on these countries in the future so we're not over that bridge yet so maybe after these people these countries have say managed to deal with their outbreaks in the same way as china is now now seeing the decline in numbers then we can say that we're over the hump yeah, okay. that's that's where I see it. Okay, I I won't be able to know all this because I'm not expert in this area. And in terms of the markets, likewise, I cannot predict exactly what's going to happen. Okay, I will just answer as in the context of an investor, a long term investor, right? Because if I'm a trader, I'll answer it differently. Yeah, right. So I right. will answer it as a long term investor. Whether market crash or not, it doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't matter because if I'm a long term investor the crash comes, I'm supposed to hold through it, right? And not do stupid things, okay? Whether I will buy or not at this point in time, I will, I actually bought stocks last Friday, 
Okay, so I'm still open to add position because one of the consideration is that we have quite a fair bit of cash in the portfolio. So I would I would see opportunity or add it, right? So I'm not so concerned about the crash. A lot of people will want to avoid crash because it's painful, emotionally painful, financially painful, right? Mm. But I prefer to really look at the long run. If I don't need the money now, I don't need to sell during a crash, right? So if I don't need to sell during a crash, if the market go up in general in the long run, then I should be fine. So I take a much bigger perspective of that and not worry about all these things because we won't be able to know when the market is going to crash. I heard people talking about market crashing since six years ago. And if imagine they sit out the since six years ago, they have missed out a lot of bull run. Then what's the point of being investing, <laughs> invested, right? So I, I will answer in that sense and i not concerned, right? So if let's say this virus take, uh, is out of control, it's really become a, so bad and a lot of people are going to die, right? Or, or eventually all of us are going to die, right? Then doesn't matter, right? You know, the world is ending. <laughs> Whether I have... 10 million, 50 million, it doesn't matter anymore. Okay. Whether I'm invested, not invested, doesn't matter anymore. So, which means I think that there is room to be more optimistic if we take a longer view of the markets. Uh, yeah. There will always be a reason to sell. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Alvin, for this very, very interesting conversation. Very philosophical. We went to so many different places, like all the best conversations, and you, it's been so thought provoking. And I've gone back with so many more links to chase up people to follow. Um, new desire to curate my email inbox and also to uh, have a proper think about about my about my insurance policies <laughs> yeah. you, you don't have a choice for your work email inbox yeah I, don't, I do not have a choice but my personal email yeah. inbox yeah and I think yeah I, I mean I would definitely some, some of the links which you've which you've you've, you've shared I will go, and go back and trace up on just like how you're saying you know took action straight away yeah Right. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for the show. Yeah. Thank you very much, Alvin. Um, where can people go to find out more about yourself or about, I mean, drwealth.com, right? That, that's, yeah, yeah, uh, that's the main site. Yeah. That's the main site. Any, anywhere else where if you want to say uh, hi to you, drop uh, in. You can add me as Facebook friend, LinkedIn. Yeah. In most of the, the social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's Alvin Chow, who is CEO of Dr. Wealth. Thank you very much, Alvin. Thank you, Paul. Thanks. Hey listeners, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Alternative CV Podcast. If you found this useful and you've learned something, do consider sharing it with somebody whom you think needs to hear it. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. And of course, you can find show notes and references to everything we've talked about at alternativecv.fm. Also, leave a review, get in touch with me, or ask a question and carry on the conversation. Or suggest any other guests who you'd like to see on this podcast. You can always email me at paul at alternativecv.fm. That's P-A-U-L at alternativecv.fm. Finally, special thanks to Kim Colmeyer and Katia Beg for the help in the production of this podcast. See you next week.